0: everybody and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford
1: and I'm Peter Glasford.
0: So we are doing this episode live from Siddard in the Netherlands which I guess sounds a lot more exotic than it actually is but we think it's pretty cool. We're at the uh, USA Cycling's uh, primary housing location uh, which is about three kilometers out of town by way of uh, nice awesome hiking trails and dirt roads so every day is sort of an adventure going in for more groceries and just to stroll around the town which has a sick little christmas market going on right now which of course i find super adorable Uh,
1: yeah and the riding's quite good as well oh that's right peter has a bike the netherlands is a very cycling oriented area so it's pretty cool to see all the infrastructure they have you can basically ride all day and never you know even within say 10k of the house there's unlimited trails both road and path and half the time it turns to single track randomly off of a road and Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty sweet
0: yeah so we're also here to help out uh aspire racing with the cyclocross world cup so yesterday we were at the namur world cup which is sick because it's at a citadel so they actually use their you know old structures and stuff, uh, instead of blocking them off so you can't go on them. So you have kids just, like, scrambling all over these giant old stone buildings and through these tunnels, and it's just, it's absolutely awesome. And next week is Zolder, which hosted Cyclocross Worlds last year. It's always a really fun race to be at. Uh, So, yeah, it's a cool time to be in Belgium and the Netherlands for us. Of course, we miss Christmas at home, uh, which actually is probably our number one tip for healthy holidays but we'll get into that in uh in a few minutes
1: your number one tip is to skip
0: yeah just skip them just don't do it okay it's actually a pretty sweet way of keeping healthy over the holidays just don't have the holidays
1: or just don't have the sickness Mm mm-hmm yeah
0: Anyway, uh, we're coming at you with a Q&A episode for this month. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the holidays, a little bit, bit about riding in the cold, and even some single speed stuff. And then since we're in kind of off-season, base season, a little bit about how we're getting ready for Iron Man, which is nine months away now, eight months away?
1: Yeah, probably. I think you're, you're under
0: eight. Under eight. Oh, crap. Uh, how we're getting ready for that and uh, if you're planning to do any kind of winter training camp how should you be sort of thinking about prepping for that now so you don't show up totally unprepared so let's dive in the first question is when peter's been getting a bunch from some of his athletes in the more northern climates where temperatures have been ridiculously cold it's actually pretty awesome being in the netherlands where it's 45 degrees compared to the Zero degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius, that it's been in Ontario since before we left. So, Peter, question was when your heart rate is low in the fall slash winter as the temperatures drop, what's it mean? What should you do? How should you react?
1: Um well there's a few things to consider. Certainly most people are familiar with when it's really hot the that your heart rate will be higher. And that's generally just means, you know, your body's working harder. So the heart rate's higher. So we need to remember that heart rate is not like a speedometer. Just because your heart rate goes up uh, doesn't mean you're moving fast. Uh, in the case of your heart rate getting really high when someone scares you or something, like you don't even have to move and your heart rate can be elevated. Um, just even breathing can elevate or, or depress your heart rate. So thinking about heart rate more as like your physiological, sort of how hard your body's working um, rather than a speedometer is important. So. You might have a lower heart rate for the same perceived exertion even in in the cold potentially. Um, Or or it might be a lower perceived exertion. You just can't drive that that heart rate up, Um, which I guess would be a a higher perceived exertion. So that's that's a challenge people run into in cold weather is they used to be able to pedal and it would feel this hard and their heart rate would be, you know, whatever, 160 beats a minute. But now it's the cold, and now it's like 150 beats a minute or something.
0: And they still feel like it's as hard as it was at 160. Yeah,
1: so they're still pedaling really hard. They're going up the hill as fast as they did before, or the same watts even. So 200 watts used to be 160 heart rate, now 200 watts is 150. So the question is, is that an issue and what you should do about it? Um, uh, Generally, it's fine. Like, I mean, that's why we have zones, right? Like people look at a zone and then they take the top of it. And so that's a mistake. So the reason you have zones is so that when it's hot out, you can ride towards the top of the zone when it's cold out, you know, or when you're tired, maybe you ride towards the bottom. So that's why you have a zone. So use that range is, is my first suggestion. So just don't push it up. Be happy at the bottom of that zone and just pedal away. Um, especially on the endurance and more tempo sort of zone one to three days, like the bottom on the zone I think is your friend, more is not better. Um, The other thing I suggested is just when it's cold a lot of times it takes a bit more to get your body warmed up and get the engine sort of, you know, running well and and, and sort of activated. So the other thing to do is a bit more activation and warm up, so things like sprints and high RPM drills um, and even doing that throughout the ride to help keep yourself actually warm but also warmed up so to speak as far as like blood flow and that sort of stuff so Mm -hmm. a lot of times what I'll do is I'll really exaggerate and like stand and like even sprint up hills just to really really sort of get my whole body moving and shake some of that blood down to those feet and and into the hands and when you're sort of standing just try and be a little exaggerated in your movements again to try and just be to get that blood moving. So, that's gonna help you be warm, which is also gonna help the heart rate come up.
0: Yeah, if I can interject about warm ups, I've definitely realized, you know, since obviously getting to know you and working with you a little bit more as we actually ride together, uh, most people, I think, when they get into sport, and certainly even myself, like our idea of warm up is go really, really easy for a while and then just consider yourself warmed up. Um, but I think, you know, when I was warming up to do some training with you, it was a very like, okay, we're going to build your heart rate up like this. So I think a lot of people still just go out and like spin for five minutes, super easy and call it good.
1: Yeah. So definitely that's like the, and then because of that, I think a lot of people don't do it. So it's either spin easy and then go really hard. So you didn't actually warm up. To the intensity, yeah. you pedaled very easy, and then tried to do something very hard. So your body has to transition. Like it's not an on-off switch; it has to transition. So what Molly's talking about is sort of even a ramp warm up, like you might do in a lab test, where you go, you know, first five minutes of your ride, fifty-five percent of max heart rate, super low, super easy. You'll probably have to even soft pedal to keep it there. Then sixty percent max heart rate for five minutes, and sixty-five percent, then seventy then percent, then maybe seventy-five, then eighty, even. And then maybe pull it back and ride 65 to 75% for your endurance zone. Um, and obviously insert max heart rate for percent of threshold if you like. Um, and, and so the idea of warming up, and that's a very good point. Like sometimes it just takes a while, but sometimes you also have to do something to help get the engine warmed up. Um, if you've ever been to like a snowcross race for snowmobiles, I think that's a great place to see it they actually like sit with the snowmobiles and there'll be a guy for the pros who just sits there revving the engine and just slowly and so they'll have the snowmobiles track raised up and they just basically sit there going like (laughs) those are sound effects for you um so yeah so trying to warm up and then the only other point i had is that sometimes in the winter you wear a lot of clothes and it's sort of an awkward motion and you're not super motivated so you sort of are moving slower and it's not your normal sort of cycling motion you just sort of like pedal slower and move slower and don't push as hard so just being aware of when you are wearing like a full snowsuit sometimes it's you gotta just sort of roll back the expectations and your intensity where you need to really get your heart rate up might have to be indoors mm-hmm. um is the reality in that case yeah. so so Absolutely. warm up be patient expect a lower heart rate um and use your trainer in your cross-training
0: yep the only other thing i'd add to that is just make sure your heart rate monitor is actually working especially in the cold weather when it needs that like warm and like wet band to actually pick up a reading i know mine especially when the battery is low can be super finicky so it might even just be that you're having more of an issue with your it could be certainly monitor. if it was
1: reading like 60 or something the whole time and not changing at all like yeah so sure that that's a valid point
0: All right, next thing is actually pretty related, I'd say. Uh, Cold weather. Oh,
1: the only other thing we should say. If you're overtrained, your heart rate's going to be depressed too. Oh, good point. So if you're feeling like crappy, you're not really motivated to go out and your heart rate isn't going up or your heart rate recovers super fast, it's probably worth taking a day off and just double checking that that's not what it is.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Especially because we're at the end of a season and we're in the off season and we're pre base season, so now is not the time.
1: It's rare; most people don't get that, but certainly that's something that I've struggled with my most of my career.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so you might be overtrained, probably not. Anyway, uh, cold weather considerations in terms of what to do with your bikes, your gear. Uh, and just kind of how to contend with that. I think the the first thing I wanted to kind of say on that was to leave a lot of extra time ahead and behind your your ride. I don't think I used the right word when I said behind. Uh, before and after would probably be the smoother way of saying that. Yeah. Uh, it takes a really long time to get dressed in a lot of layers and to get your bike ready to go out in the cold. Uh, so just making sure you build that into your schedule so you're not, rushing through your workout is a huge thing
1: i think that's good i mean we did there's a mike gerrigan uh tactic but with the kids that like even in the summer they would do like competitions to see how fast they could get dressed and it was like full booties tights everything i like that and like some of them were like sub like like i think it was like 37 seconds like full like everything helmet like face cover everything so, I mean, there's certainly, like, having systems and having stuff laid out, like bins and, and yeah, just don't dawdle with it, too, but certainly your point of it just is going to take some time and commitment.
0: Yeah. The other thing is after the ride, um, I mean, you were just talking to a couple clients about the the cleaning your bike immediately post-ride versus letting it freeze in your garage. This is good both for your next ride, so you don't have a completely iced-over chain, and also good for your bike. Who does not like an iced-over chain? You want to talk through your quick clean method? I realize we're focusing on bikes right now, but we can get to other stuff too.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. We are sort of focused on bikes. Um, the quick clean method, and I mean, I think this applies to anything. I mean, you could apply it to skis, you could apply it to snowshoes, that sort of stuff. Like, you want to keep stuff clean and dry and, and working so that you can use it the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the case of a bike, you're usually dealing with some slush and grime, and you got to get the chain clean, but then you're also dealing with cold weather. So... Um, if you're lucky enough to have a hose that will work when it's cold, then you do your normal wash setup, but some people don't. So I suggest having a bucket ready that you can fill up with really hot water and then soap the bike down and then go and fill it up again, or have a bunch of water bottles filled up with really hot water that you can like then douse basically like ice bucket challenge, but with hot water over your bike and then try and get it in someplace drier that you can try and dry it off enough that you can then get it inside and let it sort of defrost. Um, so.
0: I but mean. yeah, your bike's gonna stay running a lot better if you just take the five minutes at the end of the ride even, versus... Um, yeah, even
1: a couple water bottles. Like Something is better than letting it sit.
0: Absolutely. Uh, for getting dressed in general, I think the, the biggest thing I've learned from now my past couple winters in Canada is that layers are worth a lot more than one heavy layer. Uh, so I'm a major fan of, yeah, owning a lot of thinner layers so you can add and subtract as needed. Um, for running, I certainly, I probably err on the side of underdressing, whereas Peter is more of an overdresser. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems to work for both of us. So I guess kind of knowing your, your outdoor IQ, I suppose, like what your tolerances are. Mm-hmm. Uh, is pretty key because I'll run bare legs till it hits below freezing. Peter Not will swap much. for tights at like 50. Yeah yeah. So just knowing what what works best for you is is key. I'm also a huge fan of mittens. I've discovered that in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah I, I would always have a set of mittens and like, then another set of gloves.
0: I've almost I've realized like I could be honestly wearing shorts in a snowstorm and go for a run and if I had mittens on I would probably be okay.
1: Yeah, I think that and a face cover are important. Mm-hmm. Wool socks.
0: Yeah, wool socks have also been huge for me this year. Although I find they're a little slippery with sneakers. So just making sure you kind of fit your sock to your shoe. I've gotten pretty bad blisters.
1: Yeah, you want thin wool socks. They make running ones that mm-hmm. should be thin enough.
0: Yeah, definitely running specific. is. This is one of the few times where I'm like a fan of running specific stuff. Normally I'll just throw on whatever bike gear I have. Mm-hmm. Other than run shorts and then bike top. But yeah, that's sort of my, my thought on cold weather. Uh, the other thing is just making sure that you're hydrating. And I actually just did a piece for this on over at Map My Run. On actually winter layering, there's a piece. And running in snow, I have another thing. But I also just talked about the importance of making sure that you're drinking enough. Because it's really easy to come in from a cold run and not be thirsty. But maybe like have a cup of tea or something just to sort of make sure you're drinking enough Uh, any other thoughts on cold weather um i
1: i don't know i think it's really dependent on the sport but i think generally bringing like having some backups like i think a lot of times people think like whatever they're wearing is what they need to wear but i would generally have probably three sets of gloves like Mm -hmm. a super small set a medium set like a mountain bike winter glove and then mittens and that would be even for a run or snowshoe or something i would have that because your hands are a great way to sort of change your temperature so Mm -hmm. super warm like snowmobile gloves are going to keep you really warm your whole body but then if you get overheated you can just go bare hand for a while and it seems crazy to go bare hand a lot of people are adverse or don't want to do that because they don't want their hands to get cold if i bad experience but your hands If you just keep heating them up and then cooling them down, it really affects your whole body. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll be really bundled up and just have bare hands
0: like a lot of a ride. I think both you and I did that when we went for that snow run the other day. Mm. Yeah. Pulling off our mittens halfway through. All right. On the topic of training in the winter, though, Christmas is coming up. Training on Christmas or should we take an off day? What do you think?
1: I've pretty much in the last few years, I have a few clients that'll ride if they, you know, don't have a lot of family stuff going and, you know, there's people who do Christmas on different days and stuff. So it's, it's another day of the year, but most of my clients just will do, we do a 30 burpee challenge, the Christmas Mm -hmm. burpees. Feel free to participate. You can find info around Christmas on my Twitter or on the Smart Athlete Facebook page. So that's
0: at peterglassford.com and facebook.com backslash smartathlete.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a dot com on it, but it's at Peter Glassford uh, for Twitter. And yeah. That's what I said. No, you said at. I did not. You made a website out of Twitter. (laughs) There's going to be some sort of legislation now. Oh boy. So, yeah, anyhow, check out my Twitter. We'll link to it in the show notes if you want to participate in the 30 Burby Challenge. But to the point, um, I, I think just doing a little bit of movement, if you can get the family out for a hike or walk over, you know, go pick up something at the corner store if it's open or, you know, walk to church if that's your thing or, you know, go and play hockey. Like, I know that was a big Christmas thing for the, the Glassford family it was always big hockey tournaments and stuff out on the road, so just try and move. I think that's our consummate athlete uh, thing. And I don't push any of my coaching athletes to do it. I try and encourage them at least one of those days should be pretty often family or else you're going to end up getting to February and just being miserable because you didn't take any, you sat in your basement on a trainer for five hours in the dark.
0: Mm -hmm. That said, I'll say Christmas is probably not the day you want to go completely sans any kind of thing. Like we, a short run or something like that is totally plenty, but when you're going to be sitting around all day with family and there's going to be booze and cheese plates and snacks and a giant meal, it's probably not the day you want to go full on sloth unless you want to wake up feeling.
1: Yeah, ready. I mean, a lot of people end up having the time too, but some people, like, it's just a mental thing. They don't, Totally. They don't like doing it on Christmas Day, so I've just not pushed it, and if people are dead set they have time, then we'll, we'll do something,
0: but... Mm-hmm. All right, best gear-related present that you've ever gotten or gotten, I'm going to say this year, because I'm asking a leading question.
1: Um, I don't know, this year you got me a headlamp, Uh so I guess guess that's the answer. Um, yeah, I mean, a headlamp's pretty awesome. Like, I mean, when you're talking about gear and stuff that's going to extend your ability to move, um, you know, just the other day Molly saying we were walking into Sittered, but. Uh, into town and it's a pretty dark forest trail with really spooky religious uh, statues and stuff. Not spooky because of the religion, but spooky because it's at night and there's like large people like statues. Yeah. Like behind fences and.
0: Yeah, there's a full crash like actual size. Rod iron. Little... So anyhow, having
1: light is nice. So. Yeah. Uh, but headlamps are really sweet, you know, whether you're doing some night running or morning running, uh, especially with the time change. Like if you're someone who wants to try and fit in a quick run to wake up, you're liking that routine, like a headlamp's awesome. And then if you're living the van life, you're going to lose stuff in the dark all the time.
0: Also, they're only 25 bucks. And if you have a power outage, a headlamp is better than a flashlight in my opinion. So it's really just a good thing to have around the house in general. You never know when you're going to want to grab it.
1: Yeah, so I would say that's a a good one. I would say any sort of warm clothing. That's what Mm -hmm. I usually tell any of my... I get a lot of emails from mothers and fathers and significant others over the holidays looking for that perfect, like, thing, and usually they want to get power meters or something. I'm I'm trying to think of, like, something that people have a really big... Saddle. Yeah, like, a saddle would be sort of a tough gift, right? Or, like, even shorts are pretty specific and, like, clothes are always hard, but I'm always, like, you know, get a, like jacket like it's pretty easy to know like someone's approximate small medium large and if you get someone a good raincoat like or a good raincoat you can get for even a hundred bucks and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know that can be game changing or you know a second set of whatever you know leg warmers or something because again it's the redundancy especially when you're in an area that has a lot of bad weather if you have two sets of leg warmers like it's makes your life so much easier with laundry and stuff.
0: Yeah, and we'll throw it in the show notes, but over at mollyherford.com, I have a consummate athlete gift guide, and at saddlesorebook.com, I have sort of female cyclist-oriented gift guide uh, with some of that stuff. I would say for me, Peter got me my my favorite present of the year, although this is pre-Christmas, so I haven't gone home to see anything from my family, so you never know. They might outdo you. but Peter got me some new sweet Lululemon leggings, the Align 2. Uh, it's like a slightly cropped, like ankle-length set of leggings. And they are my absolute favorite thing in the universe because they can pretty much act as normal athleisure-style leggings that I can wear around. If you actually check my Instagram, uh, the burgundy color is uh, actually met- matches my 7-mesh wind uh, windbreaker perfectly and looks hilarious in that one, but generally they're awesome leggings and I can run in them and do yoga in them and pretty much anything. So I'm a fan of any piece of clothing where I can be a consummate athlete in it. So good job all around. All right. On the topic of Christmas, last one, uh, eating healthy around the holidays. And Peter and I already did one of our Christmases with one of our families. So we had to contend with this. Peter is really good at, uh, Say, Gretchen Rubin, the author of all the happiness books, would call you an abstainer uh, as someone who can just say, I don't eat this junk food and be totally fine with it. Uh, On the other hand, I really like junk food a lot. Um, So I think holidays are probably a bit trickier for me to kind of maintain healthy eating. Um, So, first, I guess, Peter, do you have any thoughts on healthy eating over the holidays?
1: I mean I I don't know that it's easier but I do I am I am a fan of the just I don't eat this certain thing and then it sort of eliminates a few options so I think my my best example would be you don't have to miss everything but decide that you don't need a bun for example a white bun doesn't really add most people don't actually enjoy the white bun that people serve with dinners so if you didn't have that that and no butter on it like that's a fair chunk of calories so that would drop you down a fair bit just with a white bun like if you if you have if you really like the white bun then we can insert you know key lime pie or what else do people have
0: pumpkin pie, pecan pie. Yeah. Now or not like the second pick. drink,
1: like it's, it's, so it's, it's still moderation, but it's just, you know, you don't need to participate in every single thing. And a lot of them, if you really think about it ahead of time, like you, you probably don't like hard candy or mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of things that are just really not like, you can't claim tradition on a white bun with butter. So that's been my strategy. And I mean, I take it maybe further and like, but I, you know, again, like I don't have any of the breads or the stuffing or that sort of stuff and it just eliminates it. So I end up having vegetables and turkey and mm-hmm. I'll usually have something like, I don't know what we had. I don't think I even ended up having dessert at this last one.
0: I don't think so. We I add,
1: did. We might add ice cream or something.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing to do is sort of think about loading up on the, the veggies when you can. I find that family holiday gatherings, veggies tend to be few and far between. Yeah. Um, so just kind of taking whatever is there.
1: I think we often take the strategy, too, of bringing something that's yes. getting healthy. So, like, we're big on bringing our guacamole. So, I mean... Which
0: is, like, 90%, like, pico de gallo. So it's, like, tomatoes. tomatoes, tomatoes cilantro,
1: like, salt.
0: A Little bit of avocado. It's pretty excellent, and I mean, you can eat it on a tortilla chip or on some vegetables. And so it's... that's
1: sort of, at least, I mean, that has two, it, one puts vegetables in, and then two probably distracts you from some of the hard candy chocolates that you don't actually want.
0: Soft cheeses, etc., that I really do want. Um, I think my other big thing, and this especially came in handy when we were doing a full day Christmas, um, I know with my family, the morning starts with uh, my sister's famous Bloody Marys and my dad's... You know whiskey and eggnog and or rum and eggnog depending on the year uh, but I've found trying to wait till you know like 4 or 5 p.m to start really getting into the wine like basically just waiting till dinner to hit any of the actual alcohol mm-hmm. is sort of a big help because number one you sort of keep your inhibitions up number two you avoid the hangover the next day and number three you really do kind of skip out on the calories that adding whiskey to your already high calorie eggnog adds yeah
1: yeah and there's again it's like very specific i think that's you know the example you gave was good like what works for me doesn't work for you but there's different strategies you know that that help with that whether it's moderation or not or timing of you know i'm not gonna have like cake before the meal or something like the little cakes hors d'oeuvres mm-hmm. appetizers right like Maybe just don't have appetizers. Just talk to people and, you know, have a a glass of wine and just nurse the glass of wine. And you get one glass of wine before dinner and then, you know, get some sparkling water and nurse that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think the other thing I try and I've been trying to do more of, like sort of got away from it. I mentioned the hockey game beforehand, but I'm trying to participate in whatever like activity and family stuff or going out and playing with the kids or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever is going on. And that way, like you sort of just kill most of the day, but it's you know you're not the weirdo standing in the corner not talking to anyone and yes, like absolutely. staring staring at a ch- Keyline pie or something. That would be me. You don't even like Keyline.
0: I know. You know? I don't know why I'm looking at it, you're but... You're staring
1: at it. You're scared. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if there is that, not every family has that, not everyone's into that, but again, with our consummate athlete angle, like, maybe that's, you know, maybe you jump into the hockey game or the tobogganing or snowman building or...
0: Yeah, just go out and play with whatever you know, kids happen to be around. Borrow kids. Sho- like, shovel
1: the driveway or...
0: Walk the dog, like, any yeah, kind I of... I mean,
1: whatever fits into the family thing, right? But... Lately, I've been getting just my brother to go and throw the baseball around. And that's more family things, like during the summer, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, do it. At least, like, you know, you might just have to go first and ask someone to go and do that.
0: You know? Yeah. I like it. All right. Next question. We're out of the Christmas episode here. Although, I guess this is our last episode before Christmas. So um, Happy holidays, we'll everybody. See. Maybe
1: we'll throw a bonus one in. Uh,
0: okay. Next one. Uh, when people, not necessarily people with a coach, just people that are trying to kind of keep track of their progress. Um, what, sh- what should I log?
1: Yeah. So like you're using some sort of training journal, so it might be a journal. I mean, it paper might, journal. I'm
0: just thinking somebody has like a spiral notebook even. Does like, bicycling, does bicycling
1: still make those books? They used to always send them when you bought a subscription, like a training log. Book. I
0: don't think they send them anymore.
1: But anyhow, whatever you use, it could be graph paper on the wall or a calendar, like an mm-hmm. actual physical calendar is actually a great way to start into sort of planning your training and logging your training. So I think the simplest thing you want to do is plan ahead a little bit. So again, you have a your calendar, wall calendar, plan out Monday to Sunday for this week. Um, you're going to go long on Wednesday and Sunday, hard on Tuesday and Saturday, and just, you know, walk the rest of the days of the week or something. Um, and then, so you have those planned day with some duration of some sort of goal like that. And then basically your logging can be as simple as some sort of like check mark, you know, if you did it, or a red X if you didn't. Um, and then ideally that progresses to saying, you know, things like where you rode, how much you rode, maybe some wattages or time up a hill but just sort of tracking your progress so that you know in january this year you were doing this many hours or this many miles you know you did the hill local hill this fast or the local cross country hill or the 10k race this fast and then you can compare back so a big thing that we do with athletes is look back at last december or february or march and we just try and do a little bit more so it's not related to any sort of you know, who are you, you know, or sorry, not who you are, but you know, any textbook, it's who are you last year, you were this good, you got fifth place, and you did 20 hours, so you did five hours a week in January. So this year, how about six hours a week, you know, or you did, you know, 10 minute intervals last year, do 12 minute intervals this year. So the point of the log is that you can have that continuous improvement and check in on what's working, you might see big red X's, on our wall calendar example on every Tuesday you know you have really crappy days and you never do your Tuesday you don't look forward to it but maybe Wednesday and Thursday are actually good days so if you just shifted your week and did that Wednesday you have the whole day off or it's a super easy day at work the kids are at daycare all day or whatever maybe that's the day you should do. So the the value in the training log is it helps you see those patterns where you might course correct and do a little different, something specific to you. It helps you improve, it helps you, you know, track your progress. In terms of last week was 3 minutes up the hill, this week 250 up the hill, which sounds really basic, but a lot of people don't do that and don't keep track of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the training log is planning a little bit ahead and seeing what works for you and then making it a little bit harder the next week.
0: I like it. The only other thing that I'd add is I actually like the idea of occasionally just like tracking different things. So right now I'm actually in the middle of a month of tracking my sleep for an article I'm doing. Uh, but that's, that's been sort of interesting to see my sleep patterns. And I think the month is going to give me a really good snapshot of ways I can improve my sleep and where I need to work. Uh, I don't plan on doing it sort of beyond that month, but it's nice to kind of check in and, you know, think about that. Same goes for, you know, track what you're eating for a week and see if there's anything that you're noticing about that. Are you, you know, sneaking a piece of cake every you know night after nine? Maybe maybe we want to cut that down.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's getting easier and easier. Like uh, one of our first podcasts was with Marco Altini on HRV. Yeah. but, But the reason, one of the main reasons I like his app is actually because they keep getting better and better at doing a little interview or not interview, but like survey after mm-hmm. about your sleep and your stress. And you did you travel yesterday. Did you, what else is in there?
0: Uh, um, travel. Did you drink? What activity did you do? Yeah, And you can How choose, you, you can
1: customize it, but then it uploads it or transfers it to training peaks, which for me and clients that I work with is important. It's sort of our online training calendar. So the calendar I described to you on your wall is mm-hmm. in a virtual setting that I can see and the client can see. Um, But it transfers all this survey every morning to Training Peaks. So the client, it takes two minutes out of their day. It takes a heart rate reading and then the survey. Then that's in our calendar. So now our calendar just got smarter. We have that check mark our big X. We have some data from their ride. And then we also have this survey about, you know, how did Molly sleep? How did Molly, was she traveling yesterday? Does
0: Molly have her period? Also good for women. Okay. Thank you. No, it's I was just gonna add that <laughs> tracking your cycle is also an important one for women to do Really every once shocking in a while. introduction to periods. Really there. abrupt I know. It's it's kind of my signature move. I guess that's what it is. Uh, anyway, so just kind of logging for
1: sure. And all jokes aside, that is one of the menstruation is one of them. And that's also valuable and increasingly, you know, it's an easy way to communicate that without, you know, no one really likes to talk about it, but it's an important thing for some people that's, you know, you have cramps in that time and it's affecting training. You know, now we have this obviously in a chart where, you know, Mm -hmm. training didn't go well in those days. And again, it's not for everyone, but that might be something we can then again on our wall calendar we could adjust so yeah
0: for example it's not for the men in the audience
1: the menstruation yeah sometimes we use the (laughs) menstruation for something else
0: anyway that
1: sounded like i was leading to something but indeed we just use it as like a surrogate like metric for something for something else it's it they get a freebie so they can use Uh that for whatever the type of alcohol they were drinking or something
0: if it's rum you're menstruating if it's rye you're not Feel like we've gone down a really dangerous rabbit hole here. I,
1: yes, I, I mean rye or no rye, I would go with.
0: Probably. Okay, let's 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 dig ourselves out of this one. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, talking about gearing and standing and cadence, and I know this came from one, a couple of your client interactions recently. So talk yeah, we make.
1: actually got a question by email, so anyone can do that. Either if you know our emails or Facebook or Instagram or uh, we have a Facebook page, is probably a good place to just comment if you have a oh that's right
0: we're on facebook now facebook.com backslash consummate athlete yeah
1: just search that you'll find it and um also you could just use the on the website
0: contact us page yeah
1: so that's how this one came in is a question via the website um and so joel asks about single speed training
0: um well first of all he says great work i love the different perspectives you bring into the show so thank you uh, his question was, do you have any advice for training for single-speed mountain bike racing? Assuming a basic build, uh, base build peak race recover cycle, are there any specific workouts or things to focus on? It can be really difficult to decide how much to train on the single-speed versus a geared bike, which allows better control of intervals. Uh, and then how does the answer change for cross-country versus a marathon uh, for bikes, so not 26.2 miles of running, marathon, bike racing. So like 8 to 24 hour racing, 100 kilometer or mm-hmm. milers.
1: Yeah, like three hours plus.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So first, this is like one of my favorite things to argue with people about. Oh man, um, it really is. But I've never had someone super dedicated to single speed training because single speed goes, like usually a typical single speeder doesn't care you know, and single-speed culture comes with, like, drinking and not caring. And so, I mean, and you can disagree. Maybe you're a really serious single-speed racer. They certainly exist, but they wouldn't admit it usually. But <laughs> if you look at single-speed world championships or of any type, cyclocross, mountain bike, you're going to see a, a lot of, you know, people who are having a good time. They're not really focused on training, at least, obviously. But I've always surmised that if you had someone really dedicated to doing intervals with their geared bike and then also with by shifting gears and just the situations they're on on their road bike. So we're working on high and low RPM, um, you could do some crazy stuff, and it would be really cool to, to work on that. So if, if anyone's out there and really dedicated, talk to me, and I'd love to work with you on single speed training. Um, so I think, number one, we always want specificity. So you want to be ready for single speed, you're going to need to ride your single speed. Certainly you could periodize that, so you could do a fairly normal periodization, I think. But I think because we want to get as specific as we can, so assuming you're coming towards, say, a cross-country sub-two-hour race, you know, that's a very specific type of fitness. So working back, you can do something less specific now. So that might be just doing road miles. So a traditional, what we might consider a traditional endurance base on the road isn't very specific. Um You could also work on elements that you might not work on in the summer, which you might call reverse periodization. So you could do, I mean, sprinting would be pretty similar, but you might do, you know, a big road volume threshold block. So maybe you'd even do threshold intervals now that were very steady and then progress that towards a more erratic sort of like really punchy short efforts and really high RPM stuff later on. Um, I think the big thing is that you want to really challenge that low RPM work, so that would be what you might call muscle tension, Um, and again, that could be done on your single speed bike by finding giant hills to pedal up seated. Um, You also obviously want to work on standing, which is something I see really neglected in single speed world. A lot of people aren't great at standing, and the ones who are good at standing are the ones who are usually pretty quick. So I would spend some time and get some help if you need to, which sounds like, You know an odd thing but if you think about how long you can stand up and whether you can really sprint up a climb even when you're tired a lot of people cannot so standing is a skill and something we need to practice and train certainly specific muscles and so for single speed you basically have those two gears you have seated and you have standing Uh, so you got to be able to use them both but a lot of people race single speed and don't use the standing gear very well actually i think they say they have three gears because you can also push so right that's also important. So I think single speeders also don't train their push push bike very well. So I think if you really are going to go at that single speed, I think working on your dismounts, mounts, and your bike carry slash push um, slash running, um, mm-hmm. I think it's important because there's certain races where it's very high speed, but then there'll be one kicker climb. And you can definitely get an advantage by picking your gearing where it's higher, so harder, uh, harder gear, and then just running Mm -hmm. right? you just dismount and then but saving that muscle tension then and not you know burning up your muscle and energy so to speak just by running up it but you can only just run up it if you're really good at running and really quick with your mounts and dismounts um and then the only thing is cadence so i think again you'll never see a single speeder coming down the side of a mountain doing 150 rpm like they're a track rider but to me you need to train that like track styled endurance at like 150 rpm and like you know good endurance, strong wattage, you know, even hard threshold, because you're gonna have inevitably that's place where you're gonna spin out your gear. Mm-hmm. But like consider that like track guys and ladies can spin at 150 RPM and like crazy watts. So you're really in the game of maximizing your effective cadence range and that's that's what you gotta do. You gotta work on those peaks and keep testing sort of what you can where you can push. And so an interesting thing I would give you to play around with on the trainer is pick whatever sort of sweet spot wattage or even endurance wattage so call it you know for most people that's going to be between two and three hundred watts pick something in there that's fairly comfortable but you know a little bit hard and basically rather than ramping or changing your wattage you're going to start at like say 40 rpm or not 40 rpm but start at like 70 rpm let's be reasonable and then just mm-hmm. keep going up and up and up and up till you get to say 120 or 130 rpm maybe ride for three minutes each stage and just see if you can hold that wattage steady and Mm -hmm. what heart rate does and then what you can do is you can actually play around with does that heart rate can you keep it steadier can you keep the wattage from dropping with the different cadence Um, and and to me a a good objective would be to be able to be efficient and that your heart rate doesn't change a ton it'll change because your cadence is changing a lot but a lot of people will just skyrocket the minute the RPM goes over a certain range.
0: Yeah, And, and so we sure. just
1: want to sort of extend that effective cadence range. So um, I think that's it. Yeah, I, th- I think that my, my, the big nuggets are standing and then working on spinning like a mad person.
0: And... I think I would actually add, I mean, I'm sure Joel already knows this since it seems like he does a fair bit of this, but mountain bike skills, I mean, it does change a bit on single speed. Uh, So, I mean, just getting your single speed bike actually on said trails, not just.
1: Oh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, that would be obvious, though, no? I don't think single speeders ride on gravel trails.
0: No, but for somebody listening to this, like I just said, it's, you know, maybe Joel knows this, but in general. I mean, and I
1: think if you look at like someone like Adam Craig, who's known for his single speeding um, ability. I mean, he's a tremendous bike rider. Or
0: challenging your technical skills. How's that?
1: Sure, and I mean that goes with any discipline. I think I mean that's why I didn't say it, but sure, it's an off-road discipline. So I mean, if you want to win single speed, like the better you are at riding your bike, the you know really it's free free time. So you're in a bike race, and especially for a cross country race, like again, the top single speeders can stand up and they can ride their bikes really well. Um, so. I mean, you don't. It doesn't have to be trainer intervals and low and high RPM for sure. Those things help, but yeah, very valid point. If you're a really good mountain biker, you will do really well in a single speed race.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of good mountain bikers, uh, so Peter and I also tend to coach uh, junior camp out in California every February. So I guess this question I kind of wanted to ask almost for those athletes that are going to be there. So it's a bunch of younger. Racers coming from Canada. So winter time in Canada. I would
1: look at this though for anyone, but
0: no for anyone sure But I'm just kind of giving I'm setting An example I guess or a lot of a lot of your older clients will even take you know plan for like a two-week trip somewhere Somewhere warmer in the winter months So they maybe don't have all of the time in the world slash the ability to ride outside During the winter, but they're about to go somewhere where they're gonna be putting in 20 hour weeks. So how do we,
1: I think this applies again, you know, I see this in the gym with clients I work with too, but I mean, this could be a ski getaway, like downhill ski even, but it could be, we're coming into cross country skiing time. So people are getting really amped to put in like a Christmas, like quote unquote ski block. Um, You know, this could be a running trip. You're going away running with the family, you know, Christmas vacation or to actually train for running or swimming Um, Or it could be like Molly's talking about some sort of March spring training, you know You're going away for March break with the cycling club or a team or or whatever and definitely the biggest mistake And it's a shame when we see it certainly with the young athletes the risk is pretty high But you see it with the older ones almost just as much um, Is going away and making it into a survival camp and not a training camp And so what I mean by that is survival camp is dropping yourself into a huge amount of training volume or rather a, a giant change in your tra- training load. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the literature they talk about the your acute training load versus your chronic training load. So that's where you see, there shouldn't be a change greater than, you see different numbers, but there shouldn't be a big change in the amount of training load you have from week to week. Uh, it should be gradual changes. So if you go, you know, you're doing five hour weeks and you go away into a 20 hour week, that's a lot of change. Um and your average there would be five hours and now you've done twenty, right? So that's is that four hundred percent or is that a seventy five percent increase? I can never remember. So that's like a lot. (laughs) Um so in that case, you know, you're very high risk for injury, burnout, illness, or all of the above. So what we'd like to see is that, you know, when we are considering the amount of climbing you're doing, uphill running, um, skiing again, you know, we can prepare for these loads without actually being there um you know we can do again i just talked about muscle tension low rpm work so we can simulate hills on an indoor trainer or we can simulate downhill skiing in the gym a little bit you know getting loading with some weight training weight training is a great way to sort of armor your body against some of those increased loads on the knees and hips and angles um and then volume wise just trying to approximate that so i mean with some of the younger athletes we knew they were going to go into like a 20 hour week um so we just tried to push up towards 15 which was tough with school and winter, but they did it. I mean, it's two hours a day. They figured it out. Um, and, And so that's really all you can do is try and do a bit bigger and a bit harder training to approximate what you're going into beforehand. So it's not all in that week.
0: Yeah, expect training camps to be hard, but like Peter said, it shouldn't be survival based.
1: And I think the flip side to that is that you can probably be a little more conservative in your training camp and get more out of it. Mm-hmm. So, a survival camp, you come home and have three, four, five, maybe more weeks of recovery. You know, maybe you never recover and your season isn't as great as it could have been. So, just be chill like i mean for a regular person to go away and do three hour days you know a couple off days so you know you do an 18 hour week that's a lot yeah and it's on 18 hours to me seems like a really strong week you know and if i if i had my master's clients go away and do one 18 hour week or even two you know with a couple 12 hours on either side or something like they'd all do amazing but instead they go away and do five hour rides off of one hour trainer rides Mm -hmm. and
0: Oh, I think the other major pitfall is the first day eight hour. I think this is so yeah, typical, and I know into. I'm so guilty of this.
1: Yes, yeah, the, you get into the sun, and then you want to go explore. So definitely, like ease in. So we talked about easing into your warm up for the cold weather ride. So the same thing goes to your training camp. Like save those epics for the last day, that or maybe not even the last day, maybe the second last day, because the last day is when people always get hurt. Um, It's like the last run in skiing or something. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. Like just do get two hours in the bank, get a 90 minute in the bank, you know, so a lot of times that's, you know, even here, we got here into town in Europe, and we had a bit of time jet lag. You know we're a little tired we got some errands we got to run so I think I did the first day we we're here I only did 90 minutes maybe made sure my bike was all working and you know I don't know how many people have gone down places and something was bent and they sprinted on you know three hours into a big ride and they so they're exposed and out in the middle of nowhere
0: I think in five minutes of the training camp a derailleur broke last year
1: I don't know if there was a crash with that but definitely there was yeah derailleur so just ease into it make sure bike's working make sure you get your bearings remember how to ride a bike And make sure, like, your body's adapted again. Most of these training camps involve travel, so we're way tighter than we were. And, again, jet lag adds to that, so your coordination's off. Um, Just let everything shake out for a day or two. And, again, build into that camp. Save the big money makers for later
0: yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to end now, but we're going to quickly just go into how is Man training going? And I have to say, after that Total Immersion podcast we did, Peter is now swimming like a fish. It is very frustrating for those of us who've been swimming for years. Uh, he still can't swim for as long as I can, though, so I've still got that going for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's going <laughs> well. I, I don't think I'm that good, but um, that, and I've had a couple private sessions and a I did my first group swim which was like a clinic I did with a local coach named Rich Patey and yeah he's was really good actually so it was I was a little apprehensive going to sort of like swim coaching like in a group and but you know it was good it was good to I mean everyone was really nice so I mean if you're at all interested in going to swimming it's a pretty cheap way to get instruction and meet people and I mean, they were all super psyched on sort of my Ironman craziness, and they had a bunch, you know, of really cool tips. And you know, I asked them what wetsuits they're using and stuff. So, so it's been cool. But yeah, swimming's been good. Um, yeah, I'm still not super fond of it to be honest, but uh, it's it's fine. It's it's interesting to see. Like every time I go, I can swim a little bit further, and I just try and I got a really cool watch that tracks the meters for me. So. It's interesting to just see every time I can go, I can do, like, 2,000 meters, 2,100 meters. And that's not always going to be the goal, but it's just cool to see a little bit of improvement and how that, like, even 2,000 meters, you know, is hard or isn't hard. And last time we did it, right, pretty much right after I did a three-hour ride, and I was like, oh, swimming after riding is really hard. And so it's just interesting. It's, it's you know, compared to bike riding where, you know, I'm lucky if I get a 1% improvement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, how about
1: you? Are you well, How are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling all right. It's been, I mean, I was in Europe for two weeks more than you. So I've been traveling a fair bit, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we have been in Ontario, I've gotten in the pool a few more times trying to make that, you know, a bit of a priority at least because I know February, March are going to be pretty cycling heavy. So trying to get the swim a little bit more sorted than it was. and. Mm-hmm. Mainly, though, I've, I've been running because that's what's sort of the easiest with the weather and with all the travel. Uh, mm-hmm. My runs are getting longer. I've done a couple over two hours now, which, mm-hmm. you know, we're totally fine, which made me really happy. I was a little afraid that I was going to be wrecked. Um, but actually, instead of just going for long, we've added a bit more intensity to some of my runs uh, just to try to kind of get some gains without necessarily adding a time when or a lot of time when I don't have a whole lot of time free.
1: Well and to work on technique and get mm-hmm. speed work too because you can run probably same pace you run for 30 minutes for two hours. That's so true. Just trying to get turnover and stuff and the risk is a little lower with the short stuff although I did a sprint workout that was mostly walking the other day and I am just my calves are... <laughs> I'm so weak. Such a weak so cyclist. So weak
0: <laughs> but... Yeah, so it's been fun. I'm definitely looking forward to when February gets here and I can get on the bike for bigger hours. Um, ex- really, really, really excited for that. But maybe that's just because I'm super stoked on sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all good things. Definitely. As soon as I said eight months, I'm getting a little bit nervous now. But yeah, we're so getting to the point if where anyone I need has to... suggestions
1: for Iron Man type guests if they've done yeah. awesome Iron Mans or a coach or. You know have some sort of technique or i we, i still need to get a wetsuit mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean if, if you have suggestions for guests outside of triathlon that would be awesome too we're we're coming up to another recording period here so we want to get a few more sports covered, some more how-to's um, so yeah
0: any burning burning questions looking, any sports you want to Looking about? at like
1: kiteboarding bowling
0: oh i like bowling
1: to think what I else. want to do
0: pool or darts. I want to be awesome in a bar. Is sort of where I'm. Okay. At.
1: So if there's any like card shark, uh, yeah. Dart. I don't know what type of animal a dart person would be. I
0: like, just definitely dart. want to be able to go into a bar like and do the thing where it goes silent and I pick up the dart or like pick up the pool cue and just like nail it, and then just like everyone resumes talking but knows I'm a total badass. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much why we started this podcast was because I wanted to be able to do that. So we really need to get one of those people in soon. Uh, In the meantime, have a happy holiday and let us know in the comments. Head over to iTunes, leave us a review. Yeah, let us know if you like the show and, you know.
1: Thank you for watching and listening in 2016.
0: All right. Take care. So much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love it if you'd go over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you have any ideas or people you'd love to see on the podcast, feel free to tweet at us at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford or find us over at ConsummateAthlete.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.